Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Elevate Church in Perth, Australia. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your apps. Hello, this is Money. It's a great day to be green. Yes, the environment is important to, uh, I was referring to green, the color of my shirt, which you cannot see, uh, and the fact that I am the embodiment of money. Uh, I should get a better slogan. Absolutely, Kevin, I can tell you your net worth right now. It's nothing. Yeah, no, like 0.00. But listen, hey, even though you're technically worth nothing in like, you know, dollars and cents, did I ever tell you how much our friendship means to me? It is this much. I don't know, Karen, at the end of the day, what's the real difference between the 10 and the 11 Pro X? Whoa, three lenses. We just have to tool around with your financial plan, but we can get it, all right? Yeah, your security code is 616. Oh, you just bought it just now, that was quick, okay. Uh, well, can we talk about your new plan? Karen? Karen, hello? It's weird as if you like hung up the moment I said plan. Uh, you spent $72.34. Can I just say, that's a lot of McFlurries for any one person, you know? Listen, Sonia, I know we've been on the rocks, but I don't want to give up on us, okay? I'm just asking that you check up on me every now and again. If you don't talk to me, I can't help you. Leon, hey, oh my gosh. That's a lovely boat, man. A power boat for a power man, and that is you, buddy. Yeah, uh-huh. You want to buy it? <laughs> That's a good joke. Oh, you're serious. Okay, um, well, if we do want to go ahead with it, we're going to have to make some changes. Uh, so that probably means no more food, shelter, or water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're right. It's a gorgeous boat, just like you. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you later. You bought that boat. <clears throat> Look, it's your money at the end of the day. But I'm just trying to give you advice to help your Washingtons become Lincolns. You feel me? And then those Lincolns can maybe one day become Hamiltons. And then those Hamiltons can become Ulysses S. Grants. That's the 50, the $50 bill. Mm-hmm. And then those Ulysses can become Benjamins. Woo, woo, woo! Oh man, Karen, you're the best. No, you are. No, you are. Man, I'm so glad we took the time to reconnect. Let's do it again sometime soon. Well, good morning. Great to have you all here in our live experience. And uh, shout out to those of you joining us via our podcast around the world. Very excited because we are launching a brand new three-week series today, which, uh, for those that have just caught the video, is called If Money Talked. Now, I'm aware that talking about money makes some people nervous. And I know this for a fact because I grew up in a family where money was a taboo subject. We weren't allowed to talk about money uh, as a family. And if that's you, if, you, if your sort of uh, maybe current default with talking about money is to be a bit nervous, be a bit standoffish, can I give you a friendly invitation to put on your big boy and big girl pants for the next three weeks um, because money's just, it's a far too important subject for us to not put on the table regularly. And we teach a series around money and stuff once a year. Um, so we're taking these next three weeks 
to, to, to address it. And it's actually a subject that, now here's the deal, it depends on which Bible college you went to, but uh, Jesus taught between 35 and 38 stories, okay? And um, 16 of them were about money and stuff. So nearly half of the stories that Jesus taught were about money and stuff. So he obviously recognised it was and is an important subject. So we're going to put it on the table for three weeks, go on a journey. This series called If Money Talks. And it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a spin, it's a quirk because normally it's us telling our money what to do. You know, go and buy me some groceries. Uh, go over there and pay my mortgage. Um, go and hang out in savings for a little while. And so we're going to flip the script and have our money talk to us and, and, and listen to what it might say to us, which I'm aware may also cause some of you to get a bit nervous because you have a little bit of an idea of what your money would say to you and the voice sounds a little bit like a disappointed parent. You bought what? Uh, no, okay, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> the great news is if our money was for us, if we had the perspective that our money is for us, then what our money might say to us actually marries up almost exactly with what Jesus says about money and stuff because Jesus is for us. And one of the reasons some people might get nervous, especially in a church setting, if we say we're going to start to talk about money and stuff, is, is some preconception that the big idea is to get something from you. And yet the thing that Jesus hammered throughout these 16 stories that he taught about money and stuff is that he doesn't want something from us. He actually wants something for us. So we're going to look at that and unpack that. So I want to take a dive straight away uh, into one of the stories that Jesus taught. So if you've got um, your Bible app, open it up to Luke chapter 16. In, I'm going to take the new international version this morning, my second Bible version of choice. Uh, we're also going to put it on the screens for those of you that are too lazy to open up a smartphone app. Uh, anyway, now Luke... Uh, was a doctor. He wasn't one of Jesus' initial followers. He was a medical doctor. And uh, after Jesus had died, risen, gone back to heaven, the church had started growing. The stories about Jesus, what he did, what he said, the miracles he performed, they were, they were being circulated verbally. And the church was growing. More and more people believed the original eyewitness accounts. Uh, and Luke, he's, he was so inspired, he thought, somebody needs to write this down. He, he wasn't the only person to, to start to document, but he was one of the people. So he set himself the, the goal of getting out to uh, essentially interview the various eyewitnesses and, and to record what Jesus did, record what Jesus said. And so we today have one of the four written accounts of the life of Jesus, uh, written not by an eyewitness, but taken from eyewitnesses. And this is uh, in the 16th chapter of Luke's account. Jesus told his disciples. Now, this disciples, if you're sort of churchy, you might think it's the, it's the, the 12 merry men that Jesus handpicked. This was actually, a, would have been a broader audience. It would have included the 12, but it would have been a far broader audience. The people that were following him around. He was a bit of a rock star. And so he told his disciples, this is a story. There was a rich man 
whose manager, now you know you're rich when you have to have someone manage your stuff, like pay someone to actually manage your stuff. So this guy, that's how rich he was. A rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his, the rich man's possessions. So the rich man called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. In the words of Trump, you're fired. The manager said to himself, well, what should I do now? My master is taking away my job. And look, let's face it, I'm not strong enough to dig and uh, I'm too proud to beg. So I know what I'll do so that uh, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So this is what he did. He called in each one of the master's debtors and he asked the first, "Uh, so so, uh, how much do you owe my master? 900, 900, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said, quick, quick, take your bill, sit down quickly, and uh, make it 450. And then he asked the second, uh, how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, okay, uh, take your bill, make, make it 800. Started dealing out discounts. And in this group of disciples, this audience, I, I imagine there was two kind of broad groups of people. There was, there was other people, poor, who owed people like his boss. And they're like, hey, I love this guy. And then there were rich people that are like, what a crook. Who gave him permission to, that's not his decision to make. So Jesus continued with the story. <clears throat> the master And so the Jaws theme music starts playing in the background. The master's coming in. The manager is obviously about to get busted. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. In modern parlance, the owner said, well played. Well played. Now, it's possible that Jesus' audience would have been a bit confused at this point. Like, what in the world is the master doing commending somebody who's actually been described as dishonest? I mean, is Jesus telling us that we should go rogue with stuff that other people have entrusted to us? If you're in a a business setting where you're the manager, not the owner, are you allowed to just sort of, you know, spend some money or discount some things without the, the, the the master's permission, the owner's permission? Are you meant to just kind of like sneak around behind your spouse, like just kind of, you know, doing things with, is that what he's teaching? And so this is what Jesus, and he's the master storyteller. He could see, he set it up so that the listeners are like, huh? And at this moment, he actually pulled out of the story and dropped everyone into the lesson. He said, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light, that people who don't have a relationship with God, who aren't followers of Jesus, many of them actually do a better job of managing money than y'all, people of the light. So I'll tell you, I shouldn't need to tell you, but I'm telling you anyway, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, because it will be, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, Let me just leave this up on the screen. 
I'm gonna come back to this, but let me drop you in Bible College 101, quick flyover, three years for me, one minute for you, you'll be about at the same level, uh, is um, all of Jesus' stories included two main characters being uh, hypothetical or types of God. So God is one of the characters in the story, represented by somebody, and us is another character in the story represented by somebody. So just in case you missed it, just in case you have not adequately caffeinated this morning, in this story, the master is God, hello, and the manager is us. Three years of Bible college. <laughs> I know, Josh, it's, it's impressive. Uh, and the reason that's critical, and I mean critical, is, is that, that we actually need to understand that God is the owner of everything and He gives us the job of managing some of it on His behalf. And I always ask people when it comes to managing money and stuff, would you hire you? <laughs> if you were God, would you hire you? And some people are like, uh, Probably not, actually. Well, glad you're here. We're talking about it. But here's the thing. The master commended the dishonest servant, not because he wanted people to go rogue, but instead he commended him because he appreciated that this manager had limited time because he was fired, but he had to do an, perform an audit before he actually finished the job. So he had limited time before he was no longer going to be the manager of the master's stuff. It would end one day. And he had limited opportunities. He could only do certain things in that time. And that he, he chose very shrewdly to use the limited time and the limited opportunities to actually invest in other people, to actually make a difference with what was entrusted to him. And Jesus said, so this guy, he got it that he's gonna use worldly wealth to gain friends so that when it's gone, because it will be, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The big idea that we can use money and stuff to invest into other people and make a difference in eternity. And this idea stands in very stark contrast to what is a prevailing worldview in, certainly in Western culture, uh, though it's very much permeated most cultures. And in fact, the fact that Jesus was actually teaching this suggests that 2,000 years ago, in his corner of the world, that this had to be taught because the prevailing culture wasn't lined up to how the kingdom of God worked. Because the prevailing culture kind of has the idea what I call the consumption assumption. And the consumption assumption means exactly what it looks like it means. That, that, that we in Western culture, I'm just gonna talk about Western culture, but it, I, it is not certainly limited to Western culture. That we have actually concluded that the end game, that the, the big goal of making money and managing money is so that we can get more stuff. That, that we've assumed that everything that comes to us is for us. Oh, no, and only us. That's the consumption assumption. And Jesus starts pushing back on that. And if I was to distill the big idea behind Jesus' pushback, it would be simply this. Money can add 
meaning to your life. I mean, it's better to have it than not have it. You have more options when you have it than when you don't have it. You have sometimes less stress, not always, when you have it. So money can add meaning to your life, but it's not the meaning of life. And that is a completely different perspective. Because look, they don't talk at funerals about how much stuff you had. Because it's still here and you're not. So it obviously doesn't matter as much as you may have thought it did. The only time they mention money and stuff about the person in the box at a funeral is maybe if you were known as somebody that gave it away, that used it to invest and enrich the lives of other people. That's the only time money gets airplay at funerals because you go in the box, but your stuff doesn't. So here's a pro tip. This is a pro tip that I use and recommend. When you get some next money, that's what our six-year-old nephew would say. When you get many monies come your way, next paycheck, ask, ask this question. How can I use some of this? Because Jesus doesn't call us to give it all away. Just, all right, don't, you don't have to hide your wallet. He's not coming to get it. But how can I use some of this as a means to something meaningful? And if we do this, if we consistently ask and apply this question, how can I use some of this, what God's entrusted to me, what God's asked me to manage, how can I use some of this as a means to something meaningful? And if you cultivate this habit, you'll start to turn stuff into stories. That's what Jesus was saying when we're talking about investing in other people to make an eternal difference. You can use some of what he's entrusted to us, to you, to me, to turn stuff into stories. So let me give you a flyover. Some of you are like, oh, this again. I've been here last year. You taught the same thing. And the year before, you taught the same. Ah, oh, well, too bad. Next is some of you are new in the last 12 months. And so I want to just give you a flyover of our best understanding of how this actually plays out, like the mechanics. How do I, in very practical ways, use some of what comes my way financially as a means to something meaningful? And many years ago, one of my friends who's got much bigger brains than me, in fact, I think he's got much bigger brains than pretty much anyone on the planet, he distilled the, the idea of what it looks like to do this into the phrase, uh, First 10% giving is both a goal and a minimum. So the Jewish part of the Bible, we call it the Old Testament now, has a a word called the tithe. And like whenever you have to explain it, just use the explanation and not the original word. That's kind of saves a lot of sideways energy in life. So the first 10%, God talks about bringing the first and the best, bringing the first 10% of any increase. We say it's a goal and the minimum. We say it's a goal because not everyone's ready to start at 10%. Like 10%? What? Like, okay. I'll come to that. But what happens is God calls us to, to, to grow in our faith and go on a journey where we look at the first 10% as a goal. And that first 10% is used to invest not in the local church, but actually through the local church. That what we give the first and the best in and to, to, the, to the church is actually used to turn stuff into stories. And Louie and I, we bring our first 10% every two weeks, uh, pay fortnight. And, um, and so 
when we're here and a first time guest walks through the door, their story has now become part of our story. When we see people getting dunked, there's a baptism tank over there. When we see people getting dunked and most of the time retrieved again, uh, that, that story becomes part of our story because our giving, our first 10% giving made that happen. Then we say, well, it's a goal and a minimum. So giving that it's a goal, if you're at 0%, and look, I don't know if you are. The point is, if you're at 0%, then my strongest encouragement is to dip your toes in the water of turning stuff into stories and maybe just try 1%. Next pay period, okay, okay, I can do this. I can do 1%. And see what happens. See if you miraculously make it to the next pay period without having to sell a vital organ or a child or something else. And then you're like, oh, okay. Whew. Next pay period comes along. You're still here. Whew. Well, I'm gonna do it again, 1%. And, and, and then just, okay. At some point, uh, I'm gonna go too. And, and then just go on the journey. If you already started that journey and you're at 5%, then maybe next time go to six, six, yes. Grr, you're like using your banking app like you're sitting on a roller coaster ride. Ah, six, ah, so I'm still here. Yeah, that's right. You, I mean, like you will be, I almost guarantee it. I'd say money back guarantee, but I don't keep the money. So uh, can't help you there. And then we say a goal and a minimum because there's other things beyond resourcing the local church that God wants to do. And again, this is all through the pattern through the Bible. Uh, he wants us to give to what we call it spaces and places, um, buildings and equipment. You know, oh, buildings and equipment. That's not very sexy. Well, you're in one now. You chose to be here and you're looking at screens and sitting under air conditioners and on chairs that were, that were actually uh, purchased by people giving beyond their first 10% into what we call building the future. And Louis and I play a part in that as well. And so when we see someone put their tush in the cush, then we say that that person is here in this physical environment where we believe God's gonna meet them and, and work in them and start to transform them, their story becomes part of our story. And for those of you giving your first 10% and for those of you giving into building the future, that goes for you too, that this story has become your story. We have another angle. Oh, what? More? Yeah, more. But it's exciting. Called Elevate Global. And uh, old school, you might've called this missions. And I said, no, everything's mission. Hello. Uh, mission isn't where you cross the seas, mission is where you want people to see the cross. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, I don't know. That's not, that's not, look, if you liked it, I made that up. If you didn't like it, that's not one of my jokes, all right? Tough crowd, Steve, tough crowd. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get you to, I'm gonna, but Steve, I think you should finish the rest of this message. It's a tough crowd, man, it's a tough crowd. Maybe you can have better luck. But we, 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 we partner with two organizations. One's called Compassion uh, Australia. One's called Opportunity International Australia. And Compassion, we work with them or invest in their work in the Philippines. God bless the Philippines. And uh, Opportunity International into, uh, at the moment, Indonesia, microfinancing. Those are people that we've invested in yeah. by giving to Elevate Global. And their stories become part of our story. Yeah. It's so exciting. And then, and then there's more. And some of you do this and we do this, sponsor some kids through organizations like Compassion. 
And then you get a letter from them telling you that they were able to buy school books, that they were able to buy some medicine, that they were able to graduate from year five into year six. And their story becomes part of your story. We turn stuff into stories when we start to do this sort of thing. But again, the reason it's a goal and a minimum because there doesn't actually have to be a finish line. You don't ever have to pull the handbrake on this. That same journey of faith that saw you to go from zero to one to five to seven, maybe eventually 10%, that same faith can continue to grow and stretch beyond 10 and 11 and 12. And we start to look at more opportunities and more opportunities and God, and you, know, you don't start there necessarily. I mean, some of you might, if you can, go for it. But if you can't, just go on the journey. Come along, come on the journey. Let's turn stuff into stories. But it doesn't have to stop there. I discovered that it doesn't have to stop there about three months ago when I, it was revealed to me that Louisa, my wife, was embezzling money. Not from her place of employment, but embezzling money from our family shared bank accounts. And, and uh, this, this, uh, this embezzlement had snuck under the radar, I learned, for about 12 months. And I, I managed the money on behalf of our, our finances. Um, that's kind of, you know, I'm sort of more, have a more of a strength in that uh, than Louis. Uh, did I get that right? Did I say that nicely enough? Can, can I get a lift home, please? All right, great. Uh, anyway, this is going so well. Um, and so I manage our money, it's fine, you know, problem. And uh, Louie comes home from work about three months ago, comes home from work uh, one day, and she says, uh, oh, uh, tells me, hey, um, one of the families in our sphere of influence, uh, they, they ran out of money today. Like, and the, the husband, uh, he's self-employed and he, he'd had like a couple of very lean months um, of, of getting work. And um, they, they literally on that very day had run out of money to buy groceries and they've got a kiddo and, and uh, you know, they're in tears and, and just completely distraught and completely baffled as to what their next step could even possibly be to put dinner on the table that night. And Louis said, so they told me. And uh, so I gave him a thousand bucks. And I'm like, now, I'm like, that's great. Why? Like, I'm not. What? No, I'm like, that's great, babe. That's great. So good. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and how'd they go? Oh, they just, they were bowled over. Oh, no, we can't take this. I'm like, no, no, it's not. No, take it, please. No, no, we could have possibly. No, take it. You know, this is Louis telling me this story. They're crying. Louis's crying. Um, and I'm like, I'm so, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Uh, <coughs> just one question, though. <laughs> where, where, where did you happen to come across this $1,000 that you gave? I mean, if Louis said to me, look, I'm going to get a thousand bucks and, and I'm like, I'll transfer it to the account that I let Louis have access to. Um, <laughs> well, I'm right on the edge here, right on the edge here, people. But it's a true story. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I just transfer it, but she didn't even ask. She goes, no, I gave him a thousand bucks. I'm like, right, interesting. Where, where did this thousand? So Louis said, well, she goes, about a year ago. So this story happened that... Uh, about three months ago, but at the time, Louis said, at the time, about a year prior, she said, I felt God tell me to put away a thousand bucks because one day I'm gonna be asked by him to do something with it, to invest into somebody else and you'll know when, like, but just prepare now. And 
So every fortnight, Louis would scooch past on the way to work in the morning, scooch past the ATM, and withdraw an amount that was small enough that I wouldn't question. <laughs> 20 bucks here. I'm like, ah, oh, she probably wanted to buy some kombucha or something. I don't know. So just 20 bucks. Maybe, maybe she pushed it a bit, 50 bucks. Just, and, and, and accumulated 1,000 bucks and, uh, and gave that 1,000 bucks on this very day to those people. And by the way, she's now confessed to me that she's begun that rebuilding process to get back to a thousand bucks because God told her to do it. So there's a few takeaways from Louis' story there. Number one, when God tells you to do something, even if it doesn't make sense to you, and even if it's not there in, in the moment, the actual end game, just be obedient. Like, and because uh, there's always blessing on the other side of obedience. Uh, Second model of that story is um, become friends with Louie. Because <laughs> you might need her money one day. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, what, what, am I missing something? <laughs> I've never met anybody that's regretted moving in this direction. And in fact, in my 25 years as a professional Christian, I've only ever met people who once they've made this commitment to go on this journey, their only regret is they didn't actually start that journey sooner because they just got to experience the epicness of being used by God to turn stuff into stories. And so um, I wanna invite you to come on this next three-week journey with us. It's having a, a Father's Day sorbet uh, in, in a couple of weeks. And just open yourself up to what God wants to do for you, to help you and the people around you and your family and the next generations and people you haven't met that God will use you to invest in. Um, and by the way, this week, we're talking about the giving stuff. This was the hardest part and you all survived. So well done. Because the next two, we're not gonna ask Ascent from you. They're going to be about different things, but these were Jesus' order of priorities, which, which we distill as give, save, live in that order. And so next week, we're going to talk about save. Our money tells us, send me away. And you're like, oh, no, my money's been telling me that for decades. No, no, send you away to somewhere you can actually get it back one day. That's super important. And then live, and what it means to actually live uh, with money being for us. So I'm gonna invite Louie up. She's gonna pick one of you randomly to give a thousand bucks cash to. And uh, it's a great day to be alive. It's a privilege to play our part in all that God is doing in and through you. To find out what your next step could be or to partner with us to reach more and more people by giving financially, head to our website elevatechurch.me and download our Elevate Church AU app, available wherever you download your app.